Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is November 12th, 2018, the day the nation celebrates Veterans Day. And I, I, I couldn't help but notice, but a uh, defeated former congressman, or he's a, still a current congressman from uh, Minnesota, decided to publish an op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal blaming all of the Republican losses on John McCain, which just seemed like, wow, tone deaf on so many different uh, levels. Was that Jason Lewis? Is that right? Uh, joining me is Haley Bird, who covers Congress for us at the uh, at the Weekly Standard, and uh, Jim Swift, who helps produce this podcast. So was it Jason Lewis? Do I have that right, Haley? Yeah, yeah. it was Jason Lewis. He's from Minnesota. He lost re-election last week. Um, the piece itself is rather absurd if you read it. Um, basically, he says McCain lent credence to the notion that um, the American Health Care Act, which was the House bill that would repeal parts of Obamacare, uh, hurt people with pre-existing conditions. And, and all analyses of this bill actually did indicate that people with pre-existing conditions would have been hurt by the bill. Their premiums would have gone up. It would have been very expensive in states that used these waivers to buy health insurance. Um, so so it's it's also just baffling because Republicans in the House voted against this against this bill as well. It wasn't just John McCain. Um, so it, it, it's a it's a dishonest attack in a lot of ways. And and the timing rather extraordinary. Uh, you know, genuine American hero who just passed away, and he writes it, and the Wall Street Journal decides to publish it on. Veterans Day. Okay. Hey, speaking of uh, congressmen, uh, over the weekend, uh, the Weekly Standard uh, and uh, Steve King made uh, quite a lot of news. We talked about this on the podcast on Friday. Uh, Steve King, who had been uh, somewhat excommunicated, although reelected by the NRCC, um, was the subject of a very interesting Adam Rubenstein piece in the Weekly Standard, uh, where Adam reported how he had made some racist comments, essentially referring to Mexican immigrants as dirt. And Steve King went on a Twitter tirade attacking the Weekly Standard, you know, calling it a leftist rag, yada, yada, yada. And then over the weekend, and I know, Jim, you were involved in this, um, the editor-in-chief of this magazine pushed back in probably the most effective way that he possibly could have. Yeah, I, I, I think this, this incident is, is, is proof positive as why you probably shouldn't hire your son to be your campaign manager and maybe get like you know, seasoned professionals uh, to do that. Um, had, had they had they not pushed back. Yeah, but, every, but everybody's got to find a place for your idiot son, right? I mean, <laughs> otherwise, what are they going to just like wander the streets? Yeah, usually you put them on like, you know, the board of like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or, <laughs> or the right. board of the Kennedy Center or something. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, his son, Jeff King, uh, reached out to Steve and, and made some kind of cockamamie explanations that, oh, he was he was referring to the media and and and, and, and other sorts of things. But had they not really pushed back on this sto- on 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 this story that Adam reported from the campaign trail in Iowa, it probably just would have gone on Steve King's Wikipedia page as like yet another controversial or dumb thing that Steve King said. But no, they had to turn this into another story by demanding the tape and strangely referring to Adam Rubenstein as a junkyard dog. I mean, 
No, no, I mean, which is, which is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, he's he's fierce. Well, it's not, it's not proof that, uh, that he said it. I mean, the proof was in the tape, but you know, the, the kind of guy who will start referring to reporters as junkyard dogs, and this isn't just Trump. King, King was into making stupid statements before Trump was ever on the political scene, but you know, the kind of guy, you can picture the kind of guy who would refer to a reporter as a junkyard dog and call weekly standard Antifa news and other sorts of things is the kind of guy who, who would play along with this. So, you know, Steve uh, made the decision to release the tape. And so I, I got Adam's really long tape and we, we cut it to the relevant portions with time before and time after so people could, uh, could understand the context. And, um, you know, we made it, I made it into a video. We put it on the site and Steve wrote a, uh, a, a story defending his, uh, his writer, Adam, on this. And it kind of blew up on Twitter. So um, yeah. I'd be careful. Now, pe- people should go and they should read this on the website of the Weekly Standard. But uh, here is uh, just a, a little bit of it that he, quote, just released the full tape. Let Leftists' lies exist without original sources because they are false and manufactured accusations. Weekly Standard is transitioning into Antifa news. And uh, Steve Hayes wrote, uh, King claims are false. And here is the audio. The exchange as transcripts is transcribed basically shows that King, not basically shows that King is quoted accurately throughout word for word. Um, Steve writes, so King claimed our reporter lied. Our reporter lied. He didn't. He claimed we didn't have a recording. We do. He insisted we refuse to release the audio. Untrue. It's worth remembering these things as you evaluate the credibility of the claim from King, a man with a history of bigoted comments and a recent obsession with a caravan of immigrants traveling through Mexico to the United States, that he wasn't talking about immigrants when he joked about dirt on its way to the U.S. from Mexico. So, you know, basically here's the, you know, the bottom line here is if you don't want to be portrayed as an unhinged bigot, don't act like an unhinged bigot. But uh, Steve King, Haley Bird, is returning to the House of Representatives. Uh, What an extraordinary, you look through the numbers, I'm still, you know, sort of sorting through all of the numbers including and I, and I let me see if I can pull it pull this up Dave Wasserman from the Cook Report has been doing some interesting analysis about the the gender gap uh, issues in this campaign and uh, one of the things hold on, let me just see if I can find this because it's, it would actually help no actually I deleted all of that but the the percentage of uh, members of the freshman class a democratic freshman class that are women is really extraordinary but it looks like Republicans might be on track to lose essentially half of the women that they have in the House of Representatives. So while the the, the Democrats uh, are going to have a huge influx of uh, uh, freshman women members of the House of Representatives, uh, it was a brutal, brutal week for Republican women. Yeah, it definitely was. Um and we're still, I think, cinema's ahead with McSally. So in the Senate, you know, they've also lost, um, yeah. you know, she might not be there until maybe John Kyle steps down later this year and she's appointed to replace him. Yeah, Martha McSally. Martha okay, McSally. now the, here's, a, here's a trivial uh, pursuit question that I, that I bet Jim Swift knows the answer to. Okay. If, in fact, it's true, and obviously cinema has won that race. I mean, that one that one is over. So Most you have likely, a Democratic yeah. pickup. This is, I think, obviously, this is the first woman ever to represent Arizona. But the, the conventional wisdom is that John Kyle, who used to work for, who was appointed to fill out John McCain's seat, is not going to stick around. So he's going to step down. And Governor Ducey is expected then to appoint Martha McSally 
to this seat. So Martha McSally gets to go to the United States Senate one way or another. But when's the last time you had two people um, sitting in the Senate who had run against one another in the last election? I'm guessing that's a first. Mm. I, you have to look that up on your Wikipedia page. Yeah, I, I, I actually don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> I mean, I know that um, no one does. You know, no. One, one of one of the weird things was I think it was like Kent Conrad um, promised that he would only serve like one term. So then he ran for the other Senate seat while you oh. know or something something like that. It was, I think it was Conrad, but you know someone came up with some way to to run again with, by, by keeping like the, the the term pledge or something. It was it was a not so clever dodge, but it, it was you know uh, history, and there are, there are some weird things about uh, appointments. I mean, John Kyle going back as one of the most senior Republic. What is what if he were still in office continuously would have been probably still the whip, probably mm-hmm. one of the most senior Republicans, and then goes back um, and you know just to serve for a few months uh, to be a junior senator. So uh, yeah. it'll, it'll be interesting, I think, to see if, if McSally is appointed. Um, that that I think I'm I, I'm not going to claim it's a first because I don't know if it is. I'm, I'm, but I'm 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 willing to put like a buck down on this probably a first at least for the last election. Um, but before we get into uh, what's ha- going to happen with the House of Representatives, I want to talk to Haley about that. The uh, you know, in contrast to everyone losing their minds about the recount going on in Florida, let's just leave that aside for a moment. It does seem that calmer heads are prevailing in Arizona, where you know, d- you know, despite the pressure from the White House, Republicans in Arizona appear to be behaving as adults, recognizing that hey, it, this may not be ideal, but w- what's happening there is they're just counting the votes. So, Haley, before we get into the blizzard of subpoenas that are headed the White House's way, apparently, in January, there's going to be a lame duck session of of Congress, isn't there? Yes. So we're going to have a lot of— Is anything interesting going to happen? There's going to be a shutdown fight over the wall. It would only be a partial shutdown, though, because a lot of the major agencies are already funded, funded, including— uh, Department of Defense, Veteran Affairs, and um, HHS. So, you know, the House Republicans, along with members of the Senate, and it's been a very bipartisan process, but they've done a lot of work on getting these appropriations bills through before the election, and they've saved this wall fight until after the election. And, you know, President Trump has threatened uh, to not sign it if they don't include the full amount that he wants for the wall. In the House bill, it has about $5 billion um, for this, you know, construction of the border security, uh, whereas in the Senate, they have proposed $1.6 billion. Uh, the original demand was $23 billion. So it, and so we'll see, like, some of the more conservative members of the House and those vying for leadership positions pushing for this $5 billion. Um, but Democrats think that they can, you know, eke out a win on this and just sort of find a common ground instead of the full amount that they want. Okay. So, I mean, does, 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 does anybody win from a shutdown? Is anybody right now thinking, hey, if there's a shutdown, this gives me the political hot hand? <laughs> Maybe the president. But... Well, that that's what I'm I'm thinking because, I mean, that, that would be a great distraction. And, and, and he, he's shown that he's a master of that, right? Picking out the distractions. Sure. Um, so, I don't think uh, that's how Paul Ryan wants to leave Congress, though. That's right. Paul Ryan's still around. That seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? So what is <laughs> happening? Is there any you know, any sense of what's happening on the leadership fights there? So since the Republicans will be in the minority, I think it's going to be a lot less protracted and you know contentious uh, for Kevin McCarthy um, because he's only running for minority leader rather than speaker. 
Um, the, the Democratic race will be interesting because it's going to take longer. Their elections are after Thanksgiving. So there will be a little bit more time for that story to develop and for more people to throw their hats into the Where, ring. Where's the House Freedom Caucus going to be come next Congress? I mean, are, I mean, oh, this is I good, mean yeah. they don't mm. really matter. Well, right. But, they, but <laughs> the leadership elections, they, they you still mean in the leadership election. Yeah, I mean, because are, are they going? They do matter. Jim Jordan is running for the minority leader yeah. position. Um, but it's really from from all that I've heard, it's really like a ploy in terms of trying to get concessions from McCarthy. Um, you know, you can have our support if you make us chairman of these committees and put or us, give us member. more or rank. Yes, excuse me, ranking member um, and give us more say in the legislative process, maybe the rules committee. Mm. But none uh, of that matters when you're in the minority. <laughs> yeah, it, it really doesn't matter as much. But I could see them pushing for something like well, that. Well, the, the, the really interesting question about the House Freedom Caucus that if and it's a, this is a big if, if. President Trump decides that he's going to make deals with the House Democrats, say, on infrastructure spending plans, you know, he won't need uh, a majority of Republican votes necessarily to get anything through the House of Representatives. And then, then the House Freedom Caucus can become almost completely irrelevant. Before we move off this leadership issue, um, it, smart money still on Nancy Pelosi holding on, despite all of the saber rattling from Democrats that if you elect me, I will definitely never vote for Nancy Pelosi. I mean, as far as they don't have a candidate to oppose her. Like it's clear that she's winning right now because she's unopposed. Um, but we could see someone like come out of the woodwork and throw their hat in the ring. But and Republicans could vote for her on the floor, right? Oh yeah, the president wants Nancy Pelosi to be speaker. He endorses her. She deserves this. It'd she's be the biggest tr- biggest troll vote. He uh, says Republicans ever. will support her if she needs the extra votes. So that will be fun to see. Now during the campaign, Democrats made the strategic and I think smart strategic decision not to run on impeachment, not to even talk about impeachment that much. And that was part of the Pelosi strategy, not to not to make that that an issue. But uh, the moment this election was over, we began hearing these reports about uh, the blizzard of subpoenas that are going to be heading toward the White House, uh, not, not necessarily all involving Russia or impeachable offenses, but uh, a I would say a relatively robust oversight function. So what is your sense, Haley, about how aggressive are the Democrats going to be in this in launching investigations? And how concerned are they or ought they to be about that, you know, overplaying that hand and having that overshadow any sort of a constructive agenda? I think Pelosi is concerned about overplaying that hand. Um, Even after the election, she was signaling uh, she doesn't want impeachment. That's not something they're looking for. Um, And and for the Russia investigations, they seem to be pretty deferential to Mueller in that investigation, waiting to see what happens before they move forward on any sort of impeachment uh, situation. But yes, it will be a definite change to see members of Congress exercising oversight for the White House, um, especially in some of these areas like with cabinet officials and, and some of the decisions that have been made that have been questioned but not really investigated thoroughly. Uh, some things include like Puerto Rico disaster relief and, and how that yeah. hurricane response was not very sufficient. Um, so it's sort of just policing the administration as a whole right now. Um, I haven't gotten the sense that it's, you know, searching for impeachment, uh, you know, reasons to impeach him yet. But I mean, there's, of course, always the members of the base who want to see that. I just don't mm-hmm. think that's, you know, all the way up in Democratic leadership is something that they're trying to do. 
Yeah, I was I was really struck by the lack of any oversight about what happened in Puerto Rico. I mean, that would that would be you would think that would be a, you know, would have been at the top of even a Republican Congress's right. list of things to oversight, but, you know, oversee. But this is an indication of, you know, how the how the game has completely has completely changed here. Uh, so now, Jim, the there's also been speculation that the president might resist some of these subpoenas, but and I'm not a lawyer or a practicing lawyer, and I don't pretend to be one even on a podcast, but my understanding is that in the past the courts have been quite supportive of Congress's constitutional f- uh, oversight function. So it would seem that they're playing from a relatively strong legal position. Am I wrong about that? No, I, you're not. I mean, again, I'm not a lawyer either, but as, mm. as, I mean, someone who worked in Congress and uh, never sent, never was involved in any subpoena sending myself. I was far too junior. But uh, no, the, the 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 courts should, in theory, be on their side. But there always is a chance that they will overreach and do something that um, I mean, it's it's a pretty broad subpoena power that Congress has. Um, but there's always a chance you'll run into uh, some judge that might not agree. And, uh, of course, that, I think, will be Trump then saying, oh, well, look at the activist courts are just helping this. It's just it's an, it's another piece of cannon fodder for him. But one of the you know, and I know we are loath to try and make predictions here, aside from all of the obvious uh, candidates and, and topics where we think the Democrats are going to send their you know volley of subpoenas. I wouldn't be surprised if every single committee of jurisdiction starts um, sending subpoenas to investigate things that they did not feel were sufficiently investigated, mm-hmm. um, involving cabinet secretaries and and you know things like that. That you you see oh well you know the IG is investigating and referring to the Justice Department. Um, I suspect we're probably going to see a volley of that. And I mean, we talked about this maybe a month or two ago about Henry Waxman, uh, you know, former uh, yeah, former member of Congress. And he he wrote a, an op-ed about encouraging the Democrats not to overreach, you know, and uh, we, <laughs> who knows? Will they listen to him? That's that's something I'm very interested in. Um, Almost no new majority can resist the temptation to overplay their hand. It's almost impossible. It's like being given a race car and being told to follow the speed limit. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a good analogy. I was going to go with eating potato chips or something like that. I, <laughs> you know, something like that, but there's so much there. Um, I don't know whether you've uh, read the book. Um, actually on the, on the flight here today, I was li- listening to the audio book of Michael Lewis is a new book out called, uh, the fifth, uh, the fifth risk. And it focuses in just on what's going on in the Department of Energy, which sounds not sexy, but it really is really fascinating. And just the uh, the balls that have been dropped there. I mean, what a fiasco the the transition was. And, you know, all of these, you know, really scary risks that we face that it is certainly not clear that we've gotten a handle on with the new administration and it would be uh, it would obviously be a target rich environment for for the house of representatives to be looking in on that as well now haley i uh, i don't think i've talked to you since the uh, since the midterm elections so what what is the mood among members of congress that you've talked to have you been up on capitol hill were they surprised are they chagrined uh, what what does it feel like to be a republican now realizing that you you no longer have access to any level levers of power in the House of Representatives. I mean, I, I guess it's frustrating for a lot of them, but it's not like they were really a functional majority in the House to begin with. Hmm. Um, and and that's one of the key points of analysis here is, you know, they really struggled to pass Obamacare repeal in the end. They never could pass it. 
Um, they barely managed to get this tax bill through, and that's because they're uh, they were so un- so much under under so much pressure uh, politically to get something done. Um, but they, there were so many divisions in the House. It's not like they were you know just passing bills left and right. Uh, when they did pass substantial legislation, it was often spending bills that they needed Democratic votes on because they had conservatives who who were opposed to things like that. So I mean, it really does change things from a. Pr- process perspective because, you know, bills like immigration might be able to come to the floor for a vote um, that, you know, Republican leaders would have like halted when they were in the majority. But um, it it doesn't really change the fact that a lot of House members didn't have power before. Um, Individual Republicans didn't really have a say in the process because it was such a tightly controlled process. So it changes things a lot for Kevin McCarthy and the leadership team. You're almost describing a situation where some of them might regard this with a certain amount of relief, that at least we don't have to go through that anymore. We don't have to do anything. They're allowed to just sort of put out press releases uh, (laughs) condemning Democrats and defending Donald Trump for the next two years. And I think that's what they're a lot more comfortable doing. And and raising a stink in the rules committee. Yeah. But losing because (laughs) they will lose every vote. Well, listen, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again.